And the Hangout is live. All right, we are live. Greetings, friends of the apocalypse. This is Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace for a podcast at Ground Zero, episode 28, Going Ape! So, oh, dear God. <laughs> you're not alone, friend. Oh, hi, Mr. <laughs> ape friend. No, you're supposed to say things like, uh, oh, my God, both of you? <laughs> Are they some sort of mutants? <laughs> Humans can't talk! Get your stinking paws off me, you damn dirty apes! There! You will, you will be silent, as is decreed by ape law! <laughs> That's actually a pretty good uh, Zayas there, sir. You're, you're oh, doing all right. Please, please, please say the following. Please say, what will you find out there, Dr. Zayas? Oh only, come on! Only death. <laughs> no, it's it's the my favorite line is it's Zayas's last line as Taylor rides off. What will he find out there, Doctor? His destiny. His destiny. Sounding like a, a sort of an orangutan version of maybe uh, Winston Churchill, you know. <laughs> we will fight until the gorillas are driven <laughs> from our shores and into <laughs> the forbidden zone. Wow. So anyway, so welcome to the podcast at Ground Zero Twenty Eight. Apparently, we got apes on the brain. Okay, yeah, we've, yeah. <laughs> we are going ape. Uh, I am again Jared the Apocalypse Nerd Wallace. As uh, usual, Adam Bomb uh, Adam Bomb Glancy, and thank you. And William T. Thrasher will be joining us for the discussion this week. Hello, uh, uh, William T. Thrasher. As we know, uh, is a friend of the show. Uh, has been on uh, several times. Has uh, D Infinity Live, and he has he does a uh, another podcast called Sequel Cast, where they talk about sequels to movies. And I thought it'd be appropriate because I know he's done the Planet of the Apes uh, series, so I know he would probably have uh, fresh in his mind like he did it yesterday. So, <laughs> or maybe not. That's okay. Um, and as we see, yes, we have our ape friends with us. So we are. Uh, <laughs> Will you two stop fisting those monkeys? I can't help it. So we're going to be talking about Planet wow. of the Apes and the Planet of the Apes uh, franchise. We're going to talk about... Once you uh, go ape, you never go back. Oh, no. Let's, let's just not go there. Um, <laughs> we're not we, going to talk... Okay, we're not going to talk about uh, what's-her-name in the Tim Burton uh, Planet of the Apes, where uh, which, which wife was it he had in that? It was the world's cutest chimpanzee. Uh, for for a chimpanzee, uh, for a, ch a humanoid shaped uh, chimpanzee, she was pretty hot. You're so, gonna give Helena Helena Bonham Carter, you know, <laughs> two opposable thumbs up. No, no, she's an ape. It's Helena Bonobo Carter. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's Helena Bonobo Carter. Oh, oh. So we are gonna talk about the Planet of the Apes franchise. We are gonna talk about just you know. Not drill down. Well, we'll probably drill down just for different things, but we're going to talk about the movies. We're going to talk about the original book. We're going to talk about the TV series, the live action, and the animated series. Uh, there is also a slew of comic books that came out, graphic novels, and a whole toy uh, empire that came out with uh, Mego back in the 70s. Sort of, uh, sort of predating the Star Wars toys. Oh, I, I, I had a... Later. I had like I think I had I had the Ape Treehouse uh, with the with the Doctor Zayas and the Gorillas back in like '74 when they came out. I totally had those, and to this day they're still they keep on coming. Like I think like in the '90s they came out with a line of figures. 
10 years ago they came out with a line of figures like the ones on the event page where I posted the five uh, gorillas on that are sitting on a shelf. Those are from my shelf up there in the corner. So um, now they're also redoing uh, – I, I don't want to take the camera off because I'll never get it back in the right spot. No, but no. Um, there's another line that's been coming out like uh, because for the – for, they came out with, of course, with the Wahlberg movie for the new movies that have come out. Plus, uh, I believe it is um, – shit, who's the toy company? Is it um, – It's Madhouse. Madhouse. Uh, <laughs> I'll have some of that lovely pizza. Thank you very much, wife. It is um, – My wife. I curtsy. It's uh, – <laughs> shit, you. help me. Well, who, who's the toy company? They, they're, they're pretty big. They just did like the alien figures. It is oh, – oh, It's not uh, McFarlane, is it? No, not McFarlane. It is uh, uh, Nico, Neko, I think. Mm. Um, yeah, I think I it is. Know. It's I like Neko. They, they're doing like a whole like line of retro figures from the original uh, thing. So it, there's a big franchise out there. There's a whole there's a there's a website you can see a, a lot about the old toys from the 70s called uh, Plaid Stallions. Um, it, it's all about 70s toys and 70s, you know. The, the card stuff, you know, from like the like the nickel dime stores, and uh, he has you know Planet of the Apes, all that kind of crap, you know, all the old stuff. So anyway, so that's uh, that's what we're gonna be talking about uh, on this show. Um, in the news, uh, I don't got a whole lot this week. I still have to report that I am now three episodes behind on uh, the last ship because, like I said last time, when I was two episodes behind, saying that if I've already gotten two episodes behind. And I don't feel compelled to catch up. Apparently, I'm not that keen on the show. <laughs> That's a good measuring stick. Yeah, it's like I just I'm like, oh, I'm three episodes behind now. I just I, I'm not I'm not going out of my way to watch them. Uh, I did see, I did get to see Snowpiercer. And I did uh, because it wasn't getting anywhere near me, but it was that they they're doing this whole in the theaters and video on demand thing, so I rented it off of Amazon because it was it was available there, and uh, which worked out good for me because apparently when I first started streaming it, there was some kind of uh, problem, and I got an email from like a couple days later. Oh, we see that you were having problems streaming, so we're going to refund your rental. So I'm like, oh. yay! I got to see it for free. <laughs> so, <laughs> so was it um, worth your money? Uh, it was it worth my free money? <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> um, it was. It's a decent film. Uh, and again, it's based off a Japanese uh, uh, graphic novel. It's basically it's it's set in a post-apocalyptic setting, which now has this more of a fucked-up dystopian society on a fucking train, you know, which is very Brazil-esque a lot of the time in the movie. You're smelling the hand of Terry Gillum on some of the set design. Oh, well, just uh, the whole uh, attitude, the whole what's going on, the whole the the quirky weirdness of the society and how they are, totally kind of weird Brazil kind of thing. Because again, they're on the train. You got the people in the back, people in the front, the haves, the have-nots. You know, um, ending was a little kind of uh, okay, you know, but uh, but overall wasn't bad. Some nice fight scenes, uh, interesting film. It's the whole you know. From spoiler alert, it's from you see from the commercials. You have the people, you know, the downtrodden people. Then you see, of course, the the people with the guns and the nice clothes. So you know, there's apparently some kind of class war, some kind of thing going on in there. It's obvious from the trailers, you know, and it's about them pushing through to the front of it because they want to get to the front of the train because that's where everybody has their stuff. So it's it, it, again, it's pretty interesting. Got some good brutality. 
it's got a it's got a it's got a really good line in it towards the end. Uh, so I just I, I I don't know if I want to spoil it. Go ahead. You, spoiler <laughs> alert. Don't spoiler give any, alert. It's only one line. Okay. Don't give any context. Just give the no. line. No, no, no let's give the line. I hate that I know what people taste like, and I hate – I'm not done. I hate that I know what people taste like, and I hate even more that I know that babies taste the best. Oh, wow. I'm going to go ahead that, and suggest that is that – is, Best line in the whole movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm Wow. I'll have to point that out to Jane. She will find that absolutely hilarious. She has yeah. long suspected that babies would taste better. Yes. Yeah. So I mean, I, I got it mostly right. It's you know, but it's like I like that. I, I heard that line. I'm like, again, cannibalism. But you know, obviously it's yeah. But best line in the movie. I'm like, that's fucking fantastic. You know, unlike um, best line I heard over the weekend. Uh, we went to the movies and there was a trailer and I. I uh, it was for some, you know, movie, you know, it's like uh, The Groomsman or something. It's about this, it's some stupid comedy about this guy who um, needs needs a best man and groomsman and there's this guy who provides this service, you know, typical Hollywood schlock, but there's a great freaking line in the, in the trailer, like, here's your groomsman and it shows all these guys and the guy, and they're all like this totally fucked up looking people and he's like, he's like, it looks like the Goonies got all, got all grown up and became rapists. You know, it's just like... Wow. <laughs> yeah, again, best line this weekend, so... <laughs> okay, like the Goonies grew up and all became rapists. Rapists, or something. Right. It was something like that, but uh, it was I'm pretty good. I'm going to go ahead and give that one the thumbs up, too. That was great, Thanks. you know. You know, I love my one-liners, so... Uh, so I saw Snowpiercer again. It's it's you know if you if it's in the theaters near you, it, it's worth a see. If you just do video on demand, you can do it with, like through Amazon. But it's less it's less post-apocalyptic and more dystopic. Uh, more dystopic, but they do show a lot of the landscape and they talk about why they got there and uh, things around it. So it's got a it's got a mix, but it's definitely a dystopian society. But it's like well, or you know what? But it's also but it's like for them, it's like an apocalypse on a train. So. But definitely, uh, definitely more post-apocalyptic than the rover was. Interesting. Because now, is Snowpiercer? Uh, is, is Snowpiercer? You know, is that what season three of Super Train would have been had Super Train made it past season one? Uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if I, I don't. I don't think I could ever say I saw Super Train. So that's okay. No one did. I, okay. I, I saw Soul Train. <laughs> I was. I, well, I would. What I'd really like is for. Snowpiercer to be what the third season of Soul Train was like, where it went from being a dance show to a giant class war with cannibalism on a train. <laughs> and Don Cornelius is there. So, Baby, so, he's, he's, ew, don't. so it would be it would be uh, the movie. The title of the movie would be like it would start off with like the Snowpiercer. That's how yes. I think it would be. <laughs> or perhaps they re- they would have retitled it to Soul Piercer. You know. <laughs> Um, Actually, Soulpiercer sounds like the name of real badass uh, anime about ghosts who fight each other with swords. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'll give you that. Somewhere along the uh, lines of uh, Helsink or uh, you know, <laughs> Helsink. Do you have any other any other news, Mr. Wallace? No, not particularly. Kind of a dry week. Uh, do you have Do you have something to share with the audience? The only thing I have to share is that I finally got around to finishing uh, <clears throat> uh, State of Decay's 
main campaign and escaped from the valley. So I got my my last achievement on that, and I started playing the uh, new game, which is um, uh, the open source one or the military one. The life. Uh, the well, I here's something terribly frustrating. I'd gotten up using on level one, right, where I was playing a level one game, and I got to the part where you graduate to level two. You select five characters and take them with you into level two. I fucked it up somehow. I don't know what button I hit wrong, but since there's no going back to an earlier save, I blew all the progress that I had and just basically ended up restarting the game so that I could begin level two, but I'd start it with zero, which was terribly frustrating after all the hours I spent in building up the abilities of five characters who I thought, you know, would have the skill set that would be really good for moving on to the higher levels. So I blew that completely. Um, but I also started playing Lifeline. And I'm here to tell you that Lifeline is really hard. It's really hard. And one of the reasons it's really hard is you start off with no melee weapons to speak of, but a giant pile of ammo. And you start going through that. Without a, when you can't just beat the zombies down, you have to fire your weapons into them. You run out of ammo super fast. Um, the difficulty level is definitely higher, uh, and without uh, you know, and you don't start off with any ability to repair those melee weapons, so you can very quickly lose the good ones you have. Uh, it's actually very hard. Hmm. Um, I actually started it over a couple times because I'm just like, wow, this thing is kicking my ass. And I, I think what I'm going to do is go back and take um, breakdown, start over at level one, uh, and just keep pre- playing on that until I think I'm good enough. To play to play uh, Lifeline because uh, it's it's really difficult. Um, there's no opportunity for repairing vehicles. There's tons of them. I mean, you're in an urban setting. There's vehicles everywhere, uh, but there's it is a shit ton of zombies, and it is really it seems really hard to me. Um, mm. uh, and, and again, the standard state of decay problems of no no saving whenever you want and no duo. You fuck some shit up, some people die. That's just the way it is, you know. It's there's like basic, life. Yeah, there's basically six missions to remove high-value targets from the city, um, and if you, you know, and your score—it's basically you get through those six missions, and they give you a score at the end. And if you, it's really easy to fuck those up. It's really easy to to lose those because every before any target can be removed, there's a zombie siege, and those those suck. Just gonna go ahead and say um, the zombie sieges are pretty unpleasant in this game. Um, mm. But anyways, that's that's a lot. I think it's much harder than the uh, it's much harder than the original campaign. Um, huh. And I saw, I saw I've, I've only I've only dabbled in them a little bit here and there myself. Yeah. Uh, so I, I I enjoyed it, but it's nothing you can do for relaxation. There's no relaxation in this game. It's it's tense just all the yeah. time. Yeah, and if you think you're going to go, well, I'll just go play this game for a little while, do a mission to, no, no. You, you, you have to hunker down behind some sandbags and put a steel pot on your head, you know, and drink about ten Red Bulls before, you know, so you can, you know, be in the moment. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, it's it's a rough game, but I, I, I enjoy it, but it's nothing I can do lightly. It's nothing I can just pick up and play a couple of rounds of. I started recently replaying uh, The Walking Dead by uh, Skybound. Mm-hmm. Because 
you know, I didn't get, I never got around to playing 400 days because I law I deleted or something my saves from the entire first season, and you know, everything you do, you know, uh, dictates what's happening in the other story, the other chapters, the other, you know, 400 days, and then season two, and I didn't want it to be just, oh, well, just randomly pick your actions. So I'm replaying the entire. Five chapters of season one. I've gone. Th I've gotten through three. I got two more, and it's just, it's daunting going through the whole thing again. You know, it's like I just want to get through it so I can play 400 days, which is something different. Then I could get to that. Then I can start playing season two. You know, because I want the decisions and the actions of the characters and the story to be because of what I chose, not random. So I got to do the whole freaking thing over again. So. No, I get why. I get why you're doing it. I wouldn't want the game making any choices for me. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. so there'll be bad choices. So, um, you playing any video games, Will? <laughs> I know, I know you got nothing on your plate. I know you got nothing on your plate. So, <laughs> oh yes, between between Gen Con and the small business and the upcoming wedding and uh, all and my monkey puppets. Uh, no, actually, actually, I have had some time in my downtime to play. I finally started playing a Command and Conquer Red Alert Three, which is not quite post-apocalyptic, but it is very parallel universe. -y. Nice. It is filled with commies. Yes, it is. It's been it's it's delightful. Uh, Tim, the the cutscenes are, are are these are some of my favorite cutscenes in any of the Command and Conquer games. Uh, Tim Curry plays the premier of Russia or the Soviet Union in this parallel universe. Uh, George Takei plays the uh, emperor of the nation of Japan. Um, oh, and it's just it's just wonderfully over the top. One of the special attacks you can get for the Soviets is you can decommission a Soviet satellite and have it fall from the sky onto your enemies. Nice. Yeah, that sounds like yes. It's falling space junk would be. Maybe that's what hit the Malaysian airliner. Oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I got to give the Russians big points for um, for finding a way to make a bad situation look even worse. I mean, and they, uh, and they try to deny it all. No, it was it was the rebels. Well, even I mean, it was swamp gas on a, a weather balloon. I mean, we've shot down airliners by mistake before. We had a, a highly trained crew almost at the USS Vincennes out in the Persian Gulf that ended up uh, shooting down an Iranian airliner back in the uh, I guess it was the the eighties. You know, those mistakes can be made in a war zone. The Ukrainian rebels had already shot down three aircraft that month. So if they just said, whoops, you know, you know, this this 30-year-old Cold War vintage anti-aircraft system didn't give us a great idea what we were shooting at, what the hell were you doing flying over a war zone anyway where there had already been three shoot-downs? They, they could have probably gotten away with that. That could have been the end of the story. But everything they do to cover it up is just like making it worse, like stealing the black box, removing the bodies so that there'll be less bodies and they can deny that that many people got killed. Um, but my favorite one, I mean, it's not only did they shoot down an airliner that had a whole bunch of AIDS researchers going to an AIDS conference. Oh, boy. It's like, yeah, yeah. Um, they've already uh, identified at least one or two of these guys, and there was a there's a question about how many of them might have been on the plane. I, once upon a time, I heard someone said there's 100 AIDS researchers, but I don't know if that's really the number. But that's bad. Um, uh, apparently, the Soviet, apparently they're showing uh, that old Chris Christopherson movie, movie, Millennium, 
uh, in the Kremlin. Because, oh, yeah. Because they're now pushing the conspiracy theory that the plane was full of dead bodies. You know, that there was no real people on board. It was all it's a false flag, sheeple. I mean, they've gone full Doug Jones, or what's his name? Alex Jones, and InfoWars uh, on this. But my favorite part uh, was the report coming out of, I want to say Amsterdam, about some bank uh, that was finding that there was still activity on the credit and debit cards of people who were on the flight. Where they, <laughs> nice. Where, you know, just to add a, that, that little extra cherry on top of this thing, now you know, they shot it down, they're denying it, they're interfering with the uh, investigation, and now they're shopping at the sharper image online with the credit cards of dead people. Very, that's, very good. That's beautiful. That is that's, beautiful. That's that's a touch of class. That's an extra touch of class to the whole event. Yeah. But none of that has to do with apes. So no, it doesn't. Sadly. So let's Except, talk about apes. Unless you talk about Stalin's, uh, you know, super soldier ape army. No. Let's oh just, let's, well. Let's, well, let's talk about let's talk about planet. Let's talk about right, planet of the apes. Never mind. Back to the planet. <laughs> All right. So, planet of the apes. Uh, originally a novel. Uh, by let's see here. It was Pierre Boulet. Yeah, Pierre Boulet, correct. Uh, published in nineteen And then there was an adaptation that we all know so well, uh, with Charlton Heston, nineteen sixty-eight, which was the first movie of five uh, that came out. Now, uh, just to give a, the briefest of background about the original novel, it was. Um, it wasn't what the the movie took liberties and kind of changed what Planet of the Apes was because in the actual book it was actually a planet of apes. Uh, apparently, what did you say we were talking about before? There was like a some kind of message in a bottle in space. That, oh yeah, the, the 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 formula is that some space travelers pick up a message in a bottle left in space, like a like a I don't know a container with a transponder. Like in a canister. And they they pull it out and they read uh, the 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 astronaut Ulysses is his name. His account of having landed on the ape planet, it's all high-tech and apey. One of the nice things is the apes don't speak English. So yeah, the fact they speak, that he's, speak their own language. So he's all, hey, I can talk. And they're like, he's making barky noises. Who fucking cares? You know, they, they, they totally interpret his language as just apes, as, as human noises, you know. And um, eventually he learns their language and whatever. There is a sort of a trial sequence like there is. A lot of the names are the same, like Zira. Uh, is in there. Uh, I want to say uh, Cornelius is one of the names that's in there. Um, the planet is around the star Betelgeuse, for those of you who perhaps might be a uh, fan of um, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. Um, but uh, regardless, there was a human civilization. It did fall. The apes did take over on this particular planet. Um, but it is always the, so sure that it is another planet that's not Earth. And when uh, Ulysses escapes with the girl, who's also named Nova, they, they, they keep that part, gets back to his ship, which is in orbit, and flees back to Earth. When he arrives at Earth, he finds that Earth is overrun with apes, much in the same way as the Tim Burton movie ends with the planet overrun with apes. And so he leaves Earth, or doesn't stay, but ejects this testimonial into space, and the two space travelers read the testimonial and then go, ha, 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 what a silly story. 
everyone knows humans can't fly spaceships, and of course it's revealed that the two space travelers are monkeys as well. They're chimpanzees. And so that's the arc of Pierre Boulet's uh, sort of novel, or novella. It's very short. It's like, you know, the size of uh, Zelazny's Damnation Alley. Not very big. So that's that's where it all came from, folks. And they adapted for the Planet of the Apes. And they put it on Earth, and they went with the, you know, the it's um, 2,000 years after, you know, they do do space travel, they do do time warps. Uh, you know, Charlton Heston, of course, a man's man uh, in that film. Uh, lands on Earth, and it, okay, no spoiler alerts here. The movie came out in 1968, people. If you haven't seen it by now, tough shit. Okay. If you don't know the spoiler, perhaps the greatest spoiler... No, I don't know, I don't know. Don't say it, don't say it. Or, well, it's or, been or, parodied and referenced and duplicated so many times in every form of media. Wouldn't you have to say that this is like one of the... the sort of, the, of all the twist endings of, a mo of movies, this may be one of the earliest and with the biggest possible twist. You know well, I mean? I'm going to... I'm going to say uh, about that, though, I don't consider it a twist ending because the whole thing is laid out. Oh, it's like, telegraphing. Yes. But, well, it's it just it, it's just so impactful because of the iconic scene. I mean, you 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 should have figured out that the planet, the, the ape planet of the apes, is in fact some version of Earth. It's oh, just that when, when you were hit with that undeniable revelation. When they pull down the map, you know, and point out where the Forbidden Zone is... It's clearly the coast of New Jersey, and like you can see Long Island, you know, in the in the map. But it's like you're like, well, it can't be Earth. Monkeys are in charge, so I'm I'm perfectly safe in my movie theater, you know, <laughs> or yeah, in you know, all my. Yeah, they're trying to make it seem like it's like, well, it's an Earth-like planet, but it's not quite Earth, but it actually is Earth. So the big reveal, but you know, for that time, that was a huge like, oh my God, you know, the big you know the big reveal. So. Uh, I don't know if there's a bigger, better reveal in cinema. Uh, and it's so, and it's so weird because, like, you know, I, I I know you guys when you first saw it, it was probably you know an amazing, impactful moment, and it was for me too. But I think I might be from the last generation that will ever that has will, has ever seen Planet of the Apes without knowing that that's coming. I was six. I was fucking six years old when that shit happened for the first time, and when they he starts coming up and there's that wreckage of the Statue of Liberty, and you see the the torch at first. I like it's metal, it's twisted. It's all rotted like, away. As a kid, I'm like, is it another spaceship? Is it another wreck like his ship? What the fuck is that? And what are these? You know, the antenna on it. What y'all? And so yeah, at six years old, it was like you know Rod Serling punched me right in the balls. I mean, it was. It was awful, you know, that realization that, yes, this is going to be mankind's fate if, if we keep playing around with these, you know, the Cold War ends the way everyone thinks it's going to end. Boom, this is what we're going to get. You know, if we're, if we're unlucky, if we're lucky, we're all crispy critters and it's just global extinction, but worse things could happen than global extinction. Yeah, it's definitely it's you know uh, you know you know nuclear war you know again it's all this is uh, you know it's all bad you know mankind's going to destroy themselves you know kind of message and again I I saw it probably in the seventies as well you know their whole like oh my god big reveal and you're right will you know uh, a little bit younger and you probably caught it before it was completely spoiled like I think once once it was on the Simpsons in the, in the early nineties <laughs> you know with 
Planet of the Apes, you know, the musical, that was it, you know? <laughs> yeah, stop the Planet of the Apes, I want to get off. Thank you. Stop the, stop the Planet of the Apes, I want to get off. Wow. Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Dr. Zayas. Help Dr. me, Dr. Zayas. You know, you yeah. You make a monkey out of me. <laughs> me. Oh but it, and it goes even deeper than that. On the episode where Homer becomes an astronaut, like, do you see any problems with sending a civilian into space? And Homer goes up to the microphone. I'll answer this one. The only thing that could possibly go wrong is if they sent us to that horrible, hideous planet of the apes. And wait a minute, Statue of Liberty. Oh no, that was our planet. You blew it up, maniacs! Damn you all to hell. Ah. <laughs> uh. It's it's kind of a perfect movie. It um, is. The first one, fantastic movie. You know, one question about this thing when it was released. Does anybody know what it was rated? Uh, we it was before out. the modern film rating system, wasn't it? Um... Because I've heard that uh, they that this thing got a G rating. Really? And I'm like, how? I mean, because there's a big thing about, you know, they wanted to have the women be uh, uncovered, uh, the savage humans to be uncovered from the waist up, but they, they shit can that to keep their rating. Uh, second movie, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, they wanted to, they, apparently it had a G rating because they wanted to pack the kids in. I'm like, not to jump ahead too much, they exterminated all life on Earth and what? Uh, uh, second Franci one. Franciosa goes down in a hail of bullets with one right between the eyes and leaves a smear on the wall as he's gunned down by the ape army. This was well, G? All... How, was, how was this G? You know? Well, that's all part of the lunacy of the rating system. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. Um... It's one of the most disturbingly violent films that I can uh, remember. Apparently to IMDb, Planet of the Apes certified... Rated G, the original film. Right. So they, IMDb, they, IMDb they, says G. All right, so our hero gets dragged by horses. He gets his, you know, shot through the throat rather graphically. His buddy is lobotomized. His other buddy is stuffed and put in a museum. Is is they're constantly threatening Chuck Heston with gelding him, right? Oh and, yeah. And this yeah. thing is, or, or performing experimental brain surgery on him before they kill him. And this son of a bitch thing is a G. It is one of the most, it's incredibly violent, and the threat of violence is always there, and it's also weirdly, realistically violent, to me. Um, oh, when, yeah, when it, he, it was he, actually, they, they didn't pull a lot of punches, it was very, you know... Oh, yeah. When he gets a gun, he shoots one gorilla, that I remember. There's like, yep. he, 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 when he gets that rifle, it doesn't suddenly become this thing where he mows down all the gorillas. You know, there's a shootout with the, this very long-range rifle fight that you never see in movies anyways, where, you know, the guy's just a silhouette up on the hill. But, you know, he kills one ape soldier. That's it. One. Uh, and what, to me, was, again, sort of a realistic gunfight because they're not charging him and being mowed down. I mean, it's, it's very precarious, very dangerous. You know, um, even... And I want to talk about that in... Beneath the Planet of the Apes 2, it's incredibly precarious and dangerous, and shit does not go right in a firefight, uh, which I thought, you know, was which was really very anti-heroics. You know what I mean? It wasn't 
okay, Gunfire the okay Corral or Fort Apache or Chihuahua. Oh, it was it wasn't it wasn't glorified. It wasn't like, hey, everything's great in Hollywood. They they, they did a good job with it, you know. Yeah. Like you, said, like you said that original one had they got away with a G rating, but it probably what should really should have been at least a PG because again, all oh, the yeah. other con- all the other all the other content, you know, in that movie, all the things that happened, you know, and the subject matter well, as well. Well, that's just one of the the legacies of science fiction because you can you can take any hard-hitting issue, anything that people don't want to touch, but once you package it as science fiction, you can get away with so much. Because, you know, I'm sure the people who were rating the movie just, oh, silly ape costumes, and didn't look beyond that. And so oh, yeah, they completely the, 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 the horrific violence perpetrated against Heston and the other two astronauts and all the humans in general is, it, it creeps me the fuck out. The only way it could have possibly gotten worse is if, you know, uh, thank God the apes were vegetarians. Oh yeah, <laughs> you know that's all I gotta say about that. Holy so so, so so they don't so they don't know that babies taste the best. Maybe the humans do. Maybe the humans do. But yeah, well, I mean, they because again, it's, again, they've wrapped up in science fiction. Besides, just the whole mankind's destruction of itself, of itself with nuclear war, the war in Vietnam, uh, the whole uh, civil rights movement in the '60s. You know, you know, oh, Jesus, slavery yes. ownership. Oh, this movie covers talk. Again, it's a very much it's a movie of its time. That is for sure. Yeah. Yes, and I wonder. Covers all that. And I do wonder, and uh, and I'll I'll push this a little harder in um, Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, but it's certainly been brought up enough times that um, uh, there is definitely definitively a. bottom rail on top vibe throughout this film. I mean, um, uh, there was a, a quote from Ken Burns' Civil War about, you know, some Union trooper walking by a bunch of captured Rebs and the uh, black unit, uh, it's a Negro unit, and he looks over and he sees his former master amongst the uh, captured Southern troops and the, you know, Negro soldier, you know, has to st- wander by and say, Good afternoon to you, Master. Bottom run, bottom. Uh, uh, is it bottom row on top or bottom? Uh, there's something, something like that. He's talking about like a, in a, a split, split, split rail fence. You know, where you put the poles to the rents and put the poles to the to the X's and the split rail. Bottom rail on top is what he says. Um, and there's definitely, I think there's definitely a racial component to uh, this idea because these films. Uh, sort of that, you know, so-called civilization. We love putting the word white civilization together, you know, um, in the past. We don't do it as often anymore, but there's still kind of an implication. Civilization means Europeans. And, you know, that civilization has rendered a verdict on itself by destroying itself in this movie, you know. (laughs) Uh, the, The assessment of history written by the victors is, you know, uh, man is a pest. You will know him as a pestilence, and you will not let him breed in great numbers. For you will, will not let him enter your house. Yeah, you will, or he will. He will make a desert of his land and of yours. You know. So I think there's definitely also a pretty strong racial component, and boy, does it oh, come out in conflict. Oh yeah, no, there it's definite. Because again, they're trying to show. Look how bad. You know, if we put it in the, if we put it in those terms of the Europeans or whites, you know, look, they're bad, and look what they did to themselves. Don't let them do to you what you know they did to themselves. If you let them, they'll do it all over again, showing how bad you know the white people are. You know, there's definitely that. Uh, you know, 
uh, tone in it, as well as you know the destruction. Like you said, you know, Cold War, nuclear war, uh, the whole um, just, just civilization it. destroying itself. Period. You know. Yeah. I mean, part of it is that the only. I mean, one of the problems is the only African American in the first movie is uh, not Landon. Um, it's John Landon, George Taylor, and unfortunately, the the, the black astronaut, of course. Doesn't get a goddamn first name because um, he got. She didn't he get like shot early on. Like uh, Dodge. he he does get killed before they even get out of. It was Dodge, and Stewart uh, was the woman. Um, but yeah, Dodge fails to live up to his name and gets shot in the back, and you know ends up stuffed in the museum. One presumes because the apes haven't ever seen one like him before. All the yeah. humans that are in captivity are. Generally speaking, looking Caucasian, but yeah. you know uh, that may just be a matter of all the survivors after the war having interbred to create sort of a you know just a, a a mixed human race that doesn't care about things like ethnicity anymore because they've all been reduced to this. Well, it's been you know, also been it's been several thousand years as well, and yeah. populations were thinned out after uh, the nuclear war. So yeah, but this is not a the human species no longer cares about ethnicity anymore. It's oh, not that, a not important. Now, th now things that bother me about the film. Yeah. Um, Smoking on a spaceship. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he is having a he is having a Marlboro break when we cut in, isn't he? Yeah. Well. It's, I uh, like space travel. Well, it's like yeah, smoking it's, on planes. It's just, it's just what you do. Um, in the 70s, yes. You know, 60s. Uh, it's now, right. 60s. Now, there was, you know, the, you know whatever whatever I happened. Think it's the definition of 60s cool is a grizzled astronaut smoking a cigar. <laughs> it is. Now, they explain in the movies, you know, how things happen, but, you know, man, even in the last of the five films, which is. Uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes, which had, takes place a number of years after, you know, we've destroyed ourselves, and you know, they're they're coexisting together, and it's when th things are getting really tense. And we're still talking, we're still intelligent, but you know, within those two thousand years, they don't. I don't. Do they ever really? They don't ever really explain how we got dumb and ignorant and lost our ability to speak in just a mere two thousand years. You know. Well, yeah. the. The implica the implication in uh, Battle for the Planet of the Apes seems to be that at some point a very deep rift is driven between the humans and apes that are settling together, and that essentially the humans are driven out of civilization and lose the continuity of civilization. Um, however, my own personal interpretation is that uh, at some point there's actually a second nuclear exchange because like the mutants have stockpiled some nuclear weapons and in a desperate gamble release them and well, that's what actually drives half the humans underground and the other half into savagery. But it still well, doesn't. But they still. You don't. I just. I can't buy. I could buy the loss of technology. I could buy the loss of intelligence because, you know, you're forgetting things and you don't know how to do things anymore, but all of a sudden, we are all mute and can't talk, because we know how, we already know how to talk, and you're going to talk to your, you're going to have babies, you're going to talk to your babies, they're going to listen, they're going to learn how to talk. They might not know how to sp spell or read or anything like that, but you're still going to be able to learn how to fucking talk. There has to be some physical reason well, which I would causes actually people to lose, to lose the ability to speak. I would actually suggest that um... Because of a test audience for Conquest of the Planet of the Apes, uh, 
this particular time stream is different. Um, that we've sort of established that in Planet of the Apes, Apes rule, it's like the year is 50-something, or what's the uh, date it's on like, the... Like, I think it's like 3,000, is it like 3,080 or something like that? Somewhere okay, in that so let's say it's 2,000 years after... It is, it is 2,000 years, like a little over 2,000 years. Okay. We see what happens when the Earth is destroyed at the end of G, spoiler alert, beneath the Planet of the Apes. Uh, escape brings Zero and Cornelius back to Taylor's time in the ship, which, again, doesn't make any goddamn sense because I got the idea that they're traveling faster than the speed of light in the well, ship. It's, 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 so that it, the ship... The ship uh, Machina, it had to happen, plot device. If they didn't go back in time, there would be no Planet of the Apes. No, they, so they, they actually... They actually ex explain it in Escape from the Planet of the Apes. In non-too-technical terms, it turns out there's a wormhole connecting the 1960s to that future era. Nobody okay. knew it was there, and Charlton Heston's ship accidentally passed through it, which is and why it ended up going off course and coming back to Earth. And then when Cornelius and Zira and the other guy escaped the Planet of the Apes, they passed through the same wormhole. Yeah, by trying as, to retrace the ship's trajectory. As did Brent and his skipper and the second ship. Yes. All right, so, moving along. Um, so they come back, they bring their advanced ape DNA back to the past. And for some reason, uh, you know, that is like the cue for our genetic engineers to muck with monkeys and train them up or breed them up into the creatures that are our slaves, slash pets, but mostly slaves, in Conquest. Now, when they first shot Conquest, the Planet of the Apes, it's all about the son of Cornelius and Zira putting on a rebellion to overthrow the slave state that North America has become. And the test audiences didn't like the original ending, because the original ending was Cornelius gives this speech about, fuck you, you goddamn humans, you know, uh, <laughs> bottom rail on top now, and, you know, uh, what does he say? Uh, there's a there, 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 there's a full freaking speech in Wikipedia. There will uh, where there is fire, there is smoke, and in that smoke, from this day forward, my people will crouch and conspire and plot and plan for the inevitable day of man's downfall, the day when he will finally self-destructively turn his weapons against his own time, the day of the writing in the sky when your cities will be, lie burned under radioactive rubble. When the sea is a dead sea, when the land is a wasteland out of which I will lead my people from their captivity, in which you will build our own cities in which there will be no place for humans except to serve our ends. We shall found our own armies, our own religion, our own dynasty, and that day is upon you now. The original ending, the apes beat Governor Brent to death with their rifle butts. There's this horrible long sequence of them beating him, screaming to death under their rifle butts, and that's the end. You know, it is lights out for humanity. You fuckers aren't in charge anymore. Audiences hated that. So it, it was you, disturbing. You watch the end of it, and suddenly they they raise their their butts to it. Then Caesar says, "No, I've had a completely different idea from the marketing department." And then there's <laughs> another speech, which you never see Ronnie McDowell's lips moving because they didn't go back and shoot him in the makeup. They just show his eyes. And then they show the, the expressions on other people's faces where he goes on to say, but now, now we will put away our hatred. We will put away our weapons. We have passed through the night of the fires, and those who were our masters are now our servants. And we who are not human can afford to be humane. Destiny is the will of God, and if it's man destiny to be dominated, 
It is God's will that he be dominated with compassion and understanding. So cast your, so cast out your vengeance tonight. We have seen the birth of the Planet of the Apes. Um, they, that's the moment where your timelines diverge. But that still doesn't explain why people can't, or humans can't talk. Well, they in in the first one they can't talk. The first t trip to this timeline, nuclear war. We've devolved into savagery. Um, you but know, I still, I still don't, but I still don't buy. We're going to lose the ability to speak. You're only in one I, I don't, I don't buy it. You're only in one corner of this world, and the mutants can talk. Yes. Well, I uh, I have a hypothesis as for why that might be. So we know from the original Planet of the Apes, from the Forbidden Scrolls, and from stuff that comes to light in uh, in uh, a conquest, a battle for the uh, Planet of the Apes, or conquest, whatever whatever one has the speech that yes, there is there's a plague that kills off household pets and lots yes. of domesticated animals. Yes. Now, they never say how that plague kills you, so here's my hypothesis. The plague is like rabies. It kills the animals through neurological damage. So at some point, after the plague wiped out all the normal carriers, it mutated just enough to affect humans, but well, it never did enough neurological damage to kill them. It just scrambled their brain centers. So you had, within a generation or two spreading this plague, they lost continuity of language. You're much kinder than me. I would have suggested that the humans are... Savages, because the apes want them that way. That the well, apes well, they do, well, well, they do want they do want them that way. They make it clear they don't want them to do anything. Yeah, now, they, they they have organized themselves so that when they see a, a human colony post-war, uh, learning to nail two things together, you know, and make a shelter or build a field, they burn them out. They destroy their works. They kill their adults. Leave the children until, you know, generations later you've got savages. And then after you've got savages, you've actually devolved down. You've, you've actually, nobody devolves, but uh, because... Well, actually, people... do we have any reason to believe that the mutants aren't, weren't like telepathically wiping people's memory of language? Maybe there's, the no con there's, no, there's no contact shown between the mutants and the savage humans. And but by the, the way, folks, we to... know that they're there. Yeah, well, they know that they, they know they exist. They know the apes exist. So... Yeah. The mutants we're talking about, folks, are from the Beneath the Planet of the Apes, which is the second film, where you run into the underground the mutants, which are humans underground who are mutant mutants, and they can speak and have uh, telepathic powers. So I know that the, the second film gets a lot of hate from reviewers. And from I, I, I like that one. Cause I it can, really yeah. like the second film. I, I, I'm sorry they had half the budget. It's literally from $5 million to $3 million. And the scale is bigger. There's the a whole worst. ape army. The, yeah, worst, the, worst, the, worst budget, the worst budget was the last one, but that, you know, yes. that's... Uh, it's practically but no, the a made-to-TV movie. Well, I like the second one because that one's, you know, more uh, apocalyptic than, say, the first one, you know, because they're actually, they're in, you know, uh, you know, ruined cities, underground, you know, there, there is more allusion to the actual... Uh, apocalypse. So I, I do like that uh, more for that aspect. And the scale of it is so much bigger. I mean, again, the whole ape army marching off to war with the banners and the cannons and everything, and it's okay, it's just a shame that they made some bad decisions regarding those masks. Oh, I mean, yeah. I understand the budget was so low they couldn't get every, every actor in those scenes in the really cool uh, what did I say? John Chambers makeup? 
Um, yeah, the, the articulated good ones. Yeah, no, they just have basically have rubber masks, a lot of yeah, them. Yeah, and I, I get that you'd have to, you know, put huge numbers of those extras uh, in the masks, but you could shoot them in ways that do not reveal how shitty the masks are, yeah. and they completely <laughs> fail to do so. They just go ahead and go, boom, bad mask, you know. Ooh. Speaking of makeup, this is an extra feature on one of the Planet of the Apes DVD sets, but in uh, and I've seen the footage, there was a makeup test done for a uh, child that was a mutant ape hybrid, and that yeah. whole subplot was cut out of the film because after seeing the makeup tests, the director and producer were like, oh, this is too disturbing both in a and implication. We can't yes. put this. Let's movie. talk about how you develop that hybrid, okay? Hell in a bottom corner notwithstanding. That's a problem. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, um, one thing I want to throw out about the mutants. Did you notice the names on the on the busts when they're when they're underground? They say they're all these busts of former mutant leaders. Aren't they all like nuclear physicists? Well, they're all names. There, it's one name. It's always Mendez the third, Mendez the twenty second. They all have the name Mendez. And then you go and you show Battle for the Planet of the Apes and the mutants who are left behind in the city after the mutants, you know, I shouldn't say mutants. They're radioactively damaged humans. They haven't quite Pre-mutants. Yeah, pre-mutants. They're survivors of the nuclear well, two, war. Well, 2,000 years under radiation will mutate you after a while. You yes. Know? Yes, the reveal ourselves to our god is one of the better scenes in, in cinema as far as I'm concerned. With it. Everybody... Well the, well, the fifth one didn't necessarily add so much to the film, but explored some of the other things that they talked about in the films, like where did the mutants come from? That established where and, they came from. And you do know that the, the guy who's left behind in the city, when, when Culp, who is, this, who is the, like, the secret police captain in Conquest, who's trying to find Cornelius, or sorry, trying to find Caesar and destroy the last talking ape, when he goes out with his... He's, the leading, the he's the governor now of the ruined city. When he leaves and goes out and gets wiped out, back in the city, there's this big thing about scenes that are cut out. If you read the Wikipedia page, there's a big thing about scenes that were cut out of the original shot of the movie. And one of them is a scene back in uh, under the mutant city where they're like, well, maybe we should use our, our Alpha Omega bomb on, on the ape city. And the one guy who's the second in command who's now been promoted through attrition to be in charge, like, no, no, we shouldn't do that. It's our last line of defense. We'll just keep it here and, you know, we'll use it to protect ourselves, but we won't use it to attack. That guy, that character's name is Mendez. So suddenly he is the, he's the genesis for all of the... Oh, yeah. Yeah, again, they... ...leaders they, you see in the second film. They actually do that, where they retrofit the mutant cult of the A-bomb. Yeah, the, the, the fifth movie established things from the second movie, the third movie. Now, if we could go back to um, the third movie, which was, what was that? Escape. That, was, that was Escape. That was Escape. Uh, so we got Escape, where, you know, they come back. And then, I'm sorry, the fourth movie, which was um, not uh, Ride. Conquest. 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 Now, you know, Scott was saying, and I don't remember this from the film, so I don't know if this was true. Now, I know we were domestic. I know we were domesticating apes because we had no more pets, and we needed a cute little pet and them to do something for us. Now, were the scientists? Did they actually ever say that the scientists were genetically altering the apes to be more useful, or we were we just trying to domesticate them? 
I don't recall them ever specifically saying genetics or engineered or anything like that, but I always felt it was heavily implied because yeah. they remember there is that ape breeding center where they're trying to breed desirable traits into the next generation. Yeah, of apes. I, I don't think they were going with genetics, but they might have been going with a eugenics uh, uh, sort of forced evolution by breeding program kind of thing. Oh, so maybe they were they were, they were they were creating their own evolution by breeding the best of the breed and then breeding the best of that breed just like, you know, like you do on what you like you do with crops, you know, to try to get the yeah. best out of the uh, thing I, so maybe I, I sort of I thought I felt maybe that was going on, but I don't remember a flat out admission to genetically engineering the apes. Because cuz again, otherwise Yes, Caesar was an ape from the future who spoke and was, you know, hyper-intelligent compared to the apes of the time. Yeah, we're domesticating, because apes are, you know, they're not dumb animals. They just don't know, you know, you know, I, you know, they, they can learn things, they can learn sign language, you know. Inherently, they're not stupid, they're not, definitely not stupid creatures, you know. They're probably smarter than some people I know. So, um, I've, worked, I've worked with people that, you know, would have trouble beating a, a Donabo at chess, yes. Yeah. So, uh, but you know, to to have it, but again, still, I mean, yes, suspension of disbelief. Yes, it's science fiction, but still, to go from we have one talking ape, Caesar, to right to Battle of the Planet of the Apes, which doesn't happen that much after. What is it? Maybe five, ten years after that movie. It's, it's maybe ten years later. I so mean, he's got, got, he's got every, a young son. Every ape is hyper intelligent and speaking in ten years. Uh, hold on. How did that happen? Two, I, 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 I'll say two. I'll give you two thousand years from all the breeding. You know, which again they breed like humans. You know, like like they have like about an eight to ten month uh, gestation cycle for breeding. Two thousand years, okay, but not ten fucking years that every ape is talking now. The only way it makes sense to me is that they're they're is that the apes you see in conquest have been changed. And that's and the so, only way. It can so happen. that they can understand commands. I mean, they're ordering them around, and yeah. uh, uh, you know, yes, animals can be trained to to follow some commands, but they're these guys have got them sweeping up the floor and you know bringing them drinks on a drink tray for fuck's sake, you know. Uh, I, I sort of recall that as one of the one of the things in like the training center they're trying to you know they've got an electrical cattle prods to teach them how to handle a drink tray, which I just <laughs> thought was you know. Really, this is what you're using them for, is to schlep martinis? Because it's just so much classier if you get your martini from, you know, an orangutan. Uh, it, it's, it's always been like that, sir. I don't know what you're talking about, okay? <laughs> Wait. Well, you know what? Actually, and, and this even bothered me at the time, and it still bothers me now. Is like, like all, all the all the the waiters and short order cooks and 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 janitors that are now out of work and re that have been replaced with with apes. There was a. There was a, a novel uh, by the guy who wrote um, uh, what's it? The guy who wrote uh, War Day. Uh, do you remember War Day, Jared? Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, I just yeah. can't remember. I just can't remember the. It's, uh, it's what's author. his name? Who's the who's the the sort of? It's what's his name who uh, wrote all the um, Striver? Isn't Whitney Striver involved in that? Yeah. Well, they wrote one called like I don't know Earth Day or or, or it, it's an ecological disaster. Uh, novel written much in the same pattern as War Day. Um, and one of the things they keep talking about is that there are apes that have been genetically engineered and that, that, that thing to do jobs that you don't want humans to do. And, my, and one of the big ones is work in nuclear waste handling. 
Oh. Because they don't because they don't want to spend a lot of money on shielding or union, uh, you know, health plans. So they just bred a worker that can push the carts of nuclear waste around inside Yucca Mountain or whatever, nice. or you know, do those kind of hazardous jobs. But who won't be human and won't have any rights, so they can be a uh, a what's the word I'm looking for? A a trademark and copyrighted organism. You know, they are a patented organism. Um, certainly, if the if the apes of Planet of the Apes were sort of in that role, you know, were patented and trademarked organisms that were genetically modified organisms. Drop that. Yeah, but term. still, ten ten years is pretty quick. But uh, yeah. besides that, besides well, again, suspension disbelief. But out of all the five films, again. First one's the best. I like the second one. You know, like you said, it got a hard rap. I like the second one. Um, I didn't care much for the third one because it's, it's like, because it's on Earth. Yeah, it's it was. On it, was, it, was Earth a, now. it was a necessary evil. They had to have established that. You know, even the fourth one. You know, it was like yeah, it was the you know the rise, the breakdown, kind of. And eh. the fourth one's okay because it's in this dystopian evil police state future. Which, and I like. You know. And I like the fifth one, even though it had a shit nothing garbage TV movie budget. Again, yeah. what, it, what it did was more my style. Yes, we got mutants in the ruined cities and battles, and, you know, again, that was, you know, I like it for that reason. You know, it plus was very apocalyptic. Plus it's, got, plus it's got John Huston uh, as the as the preacher giving that intro, the lawgiver. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. Uh, and it's got fucking Paul Williams in an ape suit. I mean... For, for crying out loud, it's Paul fucking Williams in an ape suit. Um, uh, other apes include Claude Akins as our, our resident gorilla villain. Uh, um, and uh, other cool, I want to point out a couple other cool apes we got. I mean, um, there was, uh, what's her name, Kim uh, Kim Hunter was uh, Zira. Maurice Evans, who you will also spot in things like Rosemary's Baby, uh, is Dr. Zayas, of course, Roddy McDowell. Um, James Whitmore, who had previously fought giant ants in the movie Them, mm. is, one of the, is one of the apes at the trial when they put Charlton Heston on trial. He's one of the judges. Um, he later goes on to do all those Miracle Grow commercials. Um, but the guy well, I really wanted to point out was... Uh, yeah, point him out. Then I want to... <laughs> is, uh, let's see... Uh, General Ursus, played by James Gregory, who you probably would remember from, like, uh, he was Inspector Luger on Barney Miller all those years. But he does get to deliver that line, the only good human is a dead human. And, you know, <laughs> there's something, every time everyone uh, goes to the giant General Ape well, they always kind of go to General Ursus. You yes. Know? Because James Gregory, even though Mark Leonard is just doing a fucking James Gregory impersonation, so is Claude Akins. They're really just doing their James Gregory impersonation because he did it first. Now, he also had the coolest helmet. He had that big, cool, you know, leather the, helmet. The Gorilla Dome. Yeah, the Gorilla Dome, yes. But uh, moving off the uh, original five films... Um, uh, it spawned in 1974 a TV series, which uh, I do have uh, right here. Let's see if you could uh, get the, the light there. Is that a series I, that redefined television? It did. Uh, the, uh, the, the, this, this giant, 
you know, you look at this big box. A, how many seasons is that? How many seasons is that, Jerry? That that is the that is the entire season. Four discs. That's it. Four uh, fourteen episodes. Uh, that's it. <laughs> this 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 was this came out before they got uh, comp you know smaller uh, DVD cases you know because this thing is a giant monstrosity. <laughs> you know, so, uh, but the TV series, the TV series, uh, I recently probably blew through half of the original this uh, over the over the weekend. Now, uh, the original series, TV series, uh, deviates from the movies. Okay, um, it it basically the first movie happened. It seems like in this, but the battle uh, beneath the planet of the apes didn't happen because with beneath the planet of the apes, uh, the you know they destroyed the earth. Okay? I'm still saying this is set in the alternate timeline uh, where humans have not. It's the timeline post battle, post conquest, where humans are still being dominated by apes. But they have not devolved the way they did. No, they have not devolved. Uh, uh, they, they, I they're... disagree with both of you. Uh, I think that this movie, uh, or that the series, either takes place somewhere between Battle and the original film, or takes place concurrently with the original film. It's just that the original film, that because we know the Statue of Liberty is there, that all took place on the East Coast. This oh, that's on the West true. Coast. Takes place they, on the West Coast. You're and, right. You know, all these places got geographically isolated during the last war, and in in the West Coast, the humans did not evolve; they just became a slave caste. That's that's a really good argument. That it's uh, but doctor, but doctor, but Doctor Zayas is there though. That's oh, a very common name. Very common. But, but it's like, the, it's but like the, Jones. We yeah, have the exact same character. It's not played by Maurice Evans, is it? Uh, I don't think so. No, it's not. So it's a different ape. You racist. Anyway, you think all apes look the same, don't you? It, well, all humans look the same too. But um, as they say constantly through this through this series. Besides, he's not Doctor Zayas. He's Counselor Zayas. That is true. Uh, but he has. A, it's, he's basically essentially the same character. It's basically they they took because this series takes place about takes place ten years after an encounter with. Astronauts, you know, three astronauts. So that they encountered. So it's ten years after. It's quite a quite a bit after, not just you know a little bit of time like beneath. So it's kind of like an alternate storyline. Like you said, it deviates because it's the West Coast. Humans can talk. They have them as servants. Uh, they're just they just keep them ignorant, you know, and keep them docile, keep them uh, in control in this movie. It's like you have two uh, two astronauts that come back. Uh, from or from wherever they're traveling, the, basically the ship that they use is basically was the nose of the original uh, 1968 film. Just a very nose piece, a little tiny piece in the front, uh, is what they use for the crash spacecraft. They crash, uh, they escape, and they go on wacky adventures for 14 episodes. They get. Um, do they solve they, crimes? They do. So they do. They, they do solve crimes. I think they actually do. Um, they they befriend a uh, chimpanzee, not Cornelius, but uh, played by Roddy McDowell. Galen. Uh, is it is it Galen? Galen is the name. Yeah. Uh, you know, running around with him, so he could go around with humans because again, humans are not the s savages that are in the Planet of the Apes uh, uh, movies. So they're traveling around. Each story generally is telling us 
some kind of moral story lesson, whether it's, you know, the violence of war will destroy us all, or, you know, racism, or they're always, they're, they're always teaching us some kind of lesson uh, in the TV series, each episode. Uh, a couple of them I really particularly like because they're post-apocalyptic, uh, because they're in ancient cities, but not a lot of them. But again, it's very different. Like the whole, like they know, you know, they're they freely humans freely wander in abandoned cities, and they know they're there. And the apes are, are patrol them, and they know they're there. They're not like completely in the forbidden zone. So the world setting is a little bit is a little bit different than the original movie series. They definitely have taken some different liberties with it. There's also, you know, of kind of more science. And I remember one of the episodes. There's a there's a character who's like an ape archaeologist, and that's one of the things is you know, apes digging keep finding wreckage uh, from like this ancient civilization, and the apes just because they've always considered themselves the dominant life form always assume that it's a it's an extinct ape civilization. And there's a whole great run where like that you know he's advanced, you know, yeah. Yeah, where, where like he holds up where he holds up this like metal thing, and he says, "No, look at this. This shows one of the amazing contradictions of our ancestors. On the one hand, this metalworking is more advanced than the metalworking that we have today, and yet this device is absolutely useless as a, a farming implement or a weapon. And what he's holding up is a golf club. Yep, I just saw that one. <laughs> and it's a great gag. Yeah, so they they do a lot of that. They do a lot of that stuff. Uh, throughout the series, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not bad. Uh, General Urko, uh, who is the lead uh, gorilla who hates humans and wants them all ex- exterminated, is played by Spock's dad, Mark Leonard. Yep, he Leonard. He, he plays him. You can tell when you hear him, you're like, oh yeah, that's that's Spock's dad, or you know, the lead bad, you know, the lead bad Klingon in the original Star Trek series, you know. So. Um, uh, so the series, it's it's not they, terrible. They, they even put him under the new. They even put him in the new Klingon makeup uh, in Star Trek: The Motion Picture, when the Klingons get wiped out at the beginning. Mark oh, Leonard yeah. is is like the Klingon captain of the that gets wiped out during that sequence. So yeah, he's had more. He's gotten a couple of paychecks from Gene Roddenberry. And oh oh yeah, for sure. This is not okay, Roddenberry's nowhere near this, but it reminds me. When I watched it, I used to think that maybe just over the hill, either John Saxon and Pax, you know, might have been hanging out with the sub the sub trains. Maybe they maybe they hook up to the Bart. Oh, you know? uh, they might. It could be a, you know world continuity, but but the TV, but the TV series is it's not terrible. You know, they do things like you know go in ancient cities and oh, in the second episode, uh, one of one of our favorite uh, actors uh, from the '70s and '80s is there. Uh, Car- uh, Carrot Top from uh, The Ultimate Warrior is in there. Oh, uh, yes. Um, Will- William? Yeah, William, William Smith. William Smith. William Smith. Will Smith. William Smith. William Smith. Oh. You better call. You be- he might be 81 years old, but I think he bet you can still kick I'm, both of our I'm pretty asses. sure he could kick a, a hole through my chest. Yeah. Yeah. William Smith, you know, is... Uh, he plays a big tough guy in the second episode, like some kind of gladiator guy, all ripped and everything. Oh, that's right, the gladiator episode. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, he's yeah, he's he's everywhere. He's and again, you know, multiple languages, degrees, uh, motorcycle, horses. He's just a badass, you know. <laughs> Jet fighter, uh, you know. It's a 
he's he's a he's one badass mofo, you know. Yeah, I, <laughs> so. I, I, I personally, I'd be all behind the whole series of you know Chuck Norris true facts rewritten for William Smith because about half of them would be accurate. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, TV series oh, again. Cool. Go ahead. Oh, there's there's actually a cool bit of like trivia for the uh, the series. So the uh, the episode of the Planet of the Apes series, the Tyrant. There's a, there's an ape called Janor, played by Michael Conrad. Um, Michael Conrad also played uh, an alien fugitive on the Lost in Space episode, Fugitives in Space. And the alien makeup he wears in Fugitives in Space is actually a reproduction of the Doctor Cornelius makeup, but. It, because it's not, it's made for Roddy McDowell's face and not his. It doesn't fit quite right and looks a bit more alien. And they just paint it white. Okay. So he's just like albino ape creature. Well, somebody said that there was like uh, there's a couple of crossovers. Like John Chambers did the makeup for Lost in Space. Is that what the deal is? Yeah, he was a. I don't know if I don't know if he did all the makeup or if he was the makeup supervisor, but he was involved and in their makeup. There was something about like the prop of the Statue of Liberty's torch turns up as some alien wreckage in a Lost in Space episode. There's something like that. Where I'm going to look they, that up. They, they reuse the prop or something, which, I, again, I, uh, this, this might be something. I might be talking out of my hindquarters on that one, but there's Would something be, about some props come back and forth between the two. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, well, in the, um, in the Planet of the Apes TV series, there's one episode where uh, one of the characters pulls uh, a club off the wall at the ape headquarters, and it's basically the spiked mace that uh, Charlton Heston used oh! in Beneath Planet of the Apes. Oh, I hate that weapon. I don't know about you, but that thing creeped me out. Oh, yeah. There, there is so much re... In the, in, the, in the TV series, it's obvious there's so much reuse, like props and equipment from the from the original from the movies in used in the TV series. So uh, they use a lot of that. They use a lot of that. But um, go ahead, Will. Oh, I found it. Uh, apparently, okay, the Lost in Space episode, Junkyard in Space, lots of like sci-fi and Batman props and set pieces get reused. Apparently, there's like a like ruined like ruined scaffolding that is the ruined torch from Planet of the Apes. <laughs> nice. Okay. All right. Um, uh, but moving on from the TV series, I'm going to accelerate a little bit here because uh, let's, um, let's hit the uh, what the well, animated series. Yeah. Next is the animated series. I don't have it, uh, and I said I'd say it because you know you can make fun of me. I used to own it. For some reason, I thought it was a good idea to get rid of it when I was doing a big purge of DVDs. So now I don't have it. Um, but it's available. You can watch. It's on Hulu, and it's all over YouTube. So. Oh, I'm, well, one word of warning, uh, if you, because I actually, when we were doing uh, the Planet of the Apes series on the sequel cast, we did a special episode about the live-action uh, television series and the animated television series, so I watched the animated series from beginning to end. With it, The animated series is actually very dark and ambitious, especially for an animated show from the time, but one of the things they did is that it tells a single continuing story for the entire season. However, when the series was originally aired, it was aired out of order. So oh, the series wow. doesn't make any sense. Can uh, I just and the, out? Go ahead. Keep going. Keep going. Uh, and and the, the order in which they have the episodes on Hulu are the original broadcast order, not the production order. So you actually have to find an episode guide and jump around to make sure you're getting the episodes in the proper order. Wow. That sucks. Um, 
I want to point out that the voice of the African-American astronaut uh, on the show, whose name is uh, Allen, Jeff Allen, is voiced, voiced by Austin Stoker, who I believe is in Battle for the Planet of the Apes. But more importantly, more importantly, is, this, is the Higher Patrol officer defending a Precinct 13 in John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. All right. <laughs> I just... I, uh, I just... Uh, Austin Stoker, that is one of my all-time favorite films, and, you know, he just it's just nice seeing a B-movie actor get a goddamn paycheck, even if it is for a, you know, voiceover in a cartoon series. They probably paid him, you know, in <laughs> in food stamps and, you know, uh, 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 and, 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 and green stamps, you know, back then. I can't imagine they got paid a lot of money, but there you go. Austin Stoker. But now, also with the animated series, because again, Will, you've seen it uh, you, more fully than I have. It's been a while since I've seen it. The world setting is a lot more advanced than the movies or the TV shows, because don't they, like, at one point have, like, a P P-40 airplane at, at one oh, point? Oh, yeah. The, the apes actually have a lot of presumably refurbished human technology left over from the war. The technology they have kind of caps out at, like, World War II level. Like, all their tanks and planes and firearms seem to be roughly World War II level, which I've actually been told by, like, military historians that shit does not break down. <laughs> So that could be, but yeah, they have they the apes have an air force. The apes have a tank battalions. Uh, the apes have uh, printing presses and ra uh, automobiles and radio. But they're all very old timey by by even the standards of the 1960s and 70s. So what's up with the uh, the underdwellers? Isn't there like a, a mutant civilization in the um, in the? Yeah, uh, I mean they're, they're yeah. pretty much they're pretty much the mutants, although I don't believe they're ever shown worshipping atomic, an atomic bomb, and they actually have, like, computer technology and nuclear reactors. If I remember correctly, that's the plot of one of the episodes, is that their nuclear reactor that powers their civilization is going critical, and they actually don't know how to repair it. And But knowing that there are 20th century humans who might actually have the engineering skills, they have to capture they have to capture one of the astronauts to try to get them to repair the reactor, which could blow up the whole Forbidden Zone. <laughs> okay. That's the kind of story I want to hear. You know, so even though they have all this super advanced technology, they and they know how to make it work, they don't really understand the principles behind it. Yeah, so it's uh, definitely, again, a different world setting. And like all the, the cities of the apes are all like, you know, Big structures and their council meetings are like in these big, you know, uh, halls that you would see like Congress meeting in and stuff like that. So they're definitely a lot more advanced uh, in society. Yeah, like all the all the government stuff, but it's all sort of pseudo Roman. There's sort of yeah. pseudo Roman bits of architecture and iconography that show up. Oh yeah. Oh, and it's loaded with ape puns. Yes, I saw like, the William like, Apes William Ape Spear. Yeah, the complete works of William Ape Spear. Yeah. Although I got to give him credit for writing an entire song based around the premise of this like flip-flopped world where apes live in all the human roles. Uh, the the last one of the last episodes, they need to steal a, a truck, and so there's a truck with like f like delivering hay with like farmer apes uh, in it, and they're listening to the radio, and it's a an ape country western song. Where like wow. and, and, and like this, you know, I hear some apes don't like bananas, and from where I sit, I see that that is true. But girl, I'm going humanoid. Yes, I'm going humanoid. Yes, I'm going humanoid over you. 
Wow, that's wow. <laughs> and they play the whole song. Uh, I gotta <laughs> give them. That's very. Uh... It's very 70s what they did there. I'm, the I'm going to go ahead and say that there was probably wow. I'm going to I'm I'm going to guess that the uh, the writers room smelled like the inside of a bong. Yeah. <laughs> and the, on the outside of a bong too. Okay. Just oh my god. <laughs> so we have the animated series, and I'm going to push us forward a little bit more. Uh, you know, there's a big toy revolution. You know, a lot of ape stuff. Like I said, I had they had like you know. The action figures—they're like you know, like eight-inch action figures. You know, uh, you know, like like there was a treehouse and a ape city, all kinds of stuff. It always I, bugged me that they were too small to interact with the GI Joes at the time. You had either, uh, either uh, too small for the big GI Joes and too big for the new GI Joes. That always bugged the crap out of me as a kid. Yeah, there's no there's no continuity in the action figure sizes back then. You know, yeah. damn it. So. Now, yeah, you can, now on the other hand, you can certainly get Cobra Commander to have a lightsaber duel with Luke, with those two sets of action figures. That worked, <laughs> that worked out fine. Yeah, uh, I'm just, I'm just imagining like I, I want to see a three-way battle between GI Joe, Cobra, and some other organization called Ape. <laughs> now, uh, if we advance to, uh, to the two thousands, let's. Uh, uh, no comment. Just keep moving forward. Well, we got it. We're running. Uh, we're running out of time here. Uh, well, actually, we ran out of time, but uh, at least I'd like to try to get the other stuff in there. Um, now there was uh, what was it? Two thousand one was the remake by Tim Burton. Um, we, we remake all... reboot deimagining, as I like to call it. Yes, yeah. yes, it was. A, I think that's a that's a fair assessment. Um, somebody's review was was literally. God damn them! God damn them all to hell! Yeah, it wasn't. Uh, we we could surmise it, and you know what? What uh, Scott? What was my review to you of Eli Roth's uh, Hostile Two? Oh, um, I I think you may have made a, a fart noise. I think <laughs> so you were you were unhappy with it. That's uh, the uh, what was I, the uh, I think it was. I think it's a my review. Is it Eli? Eli Roth should be kicked in the nuts, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he took a decent horror movie and utterly flushed whatever originality it had and interest it had right down the toilet with that sequel. Yeah, my 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 same review for Planet of the uh, Apes remake to the Mark Wahlberg. Uh, Tim Burton should be kicked in the nuts for that one. Can I can I just point? I mean, I'm happy that Rick Baker got to make some monkeys. I mean, that's fine. Mm. Yeah. Right? And I'm and I'm thrilled that Charlton Heston got to say, "Damn them all to hell," you know, in an ape suit. That's fine, but there's nothing going on in this film that makes a lick of sense. Well, it's it's very frustrating because I honestly believe all the right ingredients for a great film are there, but they're put together completely wrong and they're not left to cook. Yeah. yeah. Can I also point out that Mark Wahlberg is the worst pilot ever? In that film, he's supposed to be this astronaut. He gets in a spaceship two times. Both times he gets in the spaceship, he crashes it. Well, Meanwhile, I like to imagine the he... monkey, the monkey who's in the spaceship, makes a three-point landing. What the fuck is going on here? It's just well, the writer is just going to write. Okay, the monkey lands because well, I like I like to imagine that he's like an engineer or like a primatologist, and but that's they why say he doesn't he's know a pilot. They say he's a test pilot. 
You know, oh. and he's clearly a crash dummy. Well, well, if they're if they have test pilots, why do they need genetically modified apes to also fly the pods? What did I say before about nothing in this movie makes a lick of sense? Yeah, nothing. Yep, yep. Nothing. Now, enough of that poop. Let's move on. Uh, <laughs> uh, yes, it does. Nothing good can be said about it. But move, move on. Let's move on to the the reboot reboot of recent years. Yeah. Ah, uh, so, yes. So start talking about uh, what was it? Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. It's Ra- Dawn of Rise? the Planet of the Apes. Yes. Is it Ra- Rises first and then Dawn? Is that how it worked? Uh, rise, rise, then dawn. Yeah, rise is all right. I mean, um, talk about rise for a second. Uh, be no, no problem. No, I mean, I, I enjoyed it. I mean, it, it's, uh, it's, it's one of those things. Like when, when I heard that it was, when I heard that it was being made, I was, I, I'm pretty, personally, I am pretty much fed up with remakes, reboots, reimaginings, deimaginings. I, I call them all deimaginings because I can be a <laughs> A film snob like that, but like when I heard that it was being made, I was just all primed to hate it. But I caught it on cable uh, actually a few months ago, and I and I really did enjoy it. It wasn't bad. There's no, it, it did it didn't. I mean, it, it couldn't reach out and grab me like the original Planet of the Apes did. I just can't. Um, I still get a better vibe of uh, nostalgic, you know, a rush of nostalgic energy watching the original Planet of the Apes. But it wasn't a waste of my time. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no, I, I, agree. Didn't, I, I didn't think it was a waste of time. That was pretty good. Um, the um, uh, certainly it was just heads and shoulders above, so far above the Tim Burton one that you know you 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 if you'd been exposed to the Tim Burton one, and then you watched this one, you're like it, it was it was a relief that it was you know as good as it was. Um, my well, you know, only, one of the things that helps it. They don't try to tack on a twist ending. No, it's a straightforward they, story. They do not tack on a twist ending in the in, in that one. I will say this, William. I I, I am a, I'm very much. I have that same gripe that you do. But I, every once in a while, I just have to remind myself that you know, the second Terminator film was at least as good as the first one. I have to remind myself that uh, Aliens, although a different kind of movie, was a good movie. You know, it wasn't. I'm not going to compare it to Alien Singular. And for that matter, uh, the Maltese Falcon that we watch and love with, um, you know, with Humphrey Bogart is like the third version of the Maltese Falcon. They're like maybe the fourth. I can't remember. But they, there's a number of versions before it, it, it arrives on the scene. So I'm not completely willing to write off the idea of, you know, de-imagining that, you know, every time you do a, a reboot or whatever, it's de-imagining it. I mean, J.J. Well, Abrams is making me hate the concept, but that's because he's J.J. Abrams, you know. Well, I mean, when it's, when it's done well, it is so, so sweet. But, you know, the, the mistake, i got to agree with John Waters, if you're going to remake something, don't remake a good film. Oh, you're most uh, likely yeah. only going to go downhill. Remake crap, then there's oh, at yeah. least a chance you'll elevate the material. I agree. There's a, what's his name, who had the big, you know, the, the actor, um, uh, He's gunned down by uh, Travolta and and um, and uh, what's his name in in in, in Pulp Fiction? Yeah, uh, Travolta and uh, and good God, I forgot. Samuel L. Jackson. Jackson's last name, yeah. So Sam, I was stalling. Samuel L. Jackson, Jackson yeah. yeah. When they kill that guy in the in the apartment uh, in uh, Pulp Fiction, Brad, as in check out the big brain on Brad. Um, that guy 
had actually said years ago uh, on one of those dinner for five things that Favreau used to do on A&E, why don't we remake bad movies or movies that failed, you know, and find a way of rescuing things that were good ideas that were ruined, you know, by the Hollywood process. Maybe there's something in there that we could go back and rescue. And yeah. I couldn't agree more. Well, yeah, well, well, Hollywood just wants it's like, oh, that worked, so we could reboot it and it's going to work again. You know, instead of you know remaking bad bad films, I don't even think they should keep on remaking freaking films anyway. They just need to make, just start making more films, make better films, make something different. Why do we got to keep on remaking everything? Everything needs a remake. No, not everything needs a fucking remake. You On know? the other hand, you know, I'm will, I'd be given be willing to take a chance if somebody remade Damnation Alley closer to the original story. That'd that, be cool. That would be good. You know, re, you know, now. People say that John Carpenter's The Thing is a remake of the 1950s, you know. Uh, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point. But it's, it's not. One of the good but it's, I consider it less of a remake, more of a reimagining, because I didn't really care for the first one. A stupid a Vegetable Man, I really hated that fucking movie. I really don't like the original. I think it's fucking stupid, okay? But it's very 50s, okay? It is absolutely 1950s film. I hate right. it. I think it's garbage. So, you speak, you speak heresy, sir. But beyond that, I agree with you. What that, the, the vegetable man? Look, I'm the vegetable man. I'm gonna kill kill you. It's so hey, that's, fucking stupid. That's Marshall Dillon to you. That's, that's I don't care. But anyway, Marshall but Dillon to you, Mister John Carpenter's the thing is a much much more truer, closer adaptation of the original short story. Who, oh, goes, who goes there? Yes. Who goes there? Absolutely, you know, with the whole thing with it's a biological thing, it's copying people, the paranoia, the distrust, all that is there, and that's what makes that film great. You know, yeah. the first one, there's none of that. Everybody's everybody's happy in fifties, and uh, they got you know you know women reporters there, and they got you know it's, they should it's the fifties and blah blah blah, and everybody's happy, and it's ugh, it has nothing it has nothing to do with the original story except that yeah, there was something crashed in the ice, and they're in Antarctica. That's it. <laughs> You know. Except, and actually, yeah. if you want to check it out, it's by uh, it's Who Goes There by John W. Campbell Jr. Yeah, great story. So anyway, we're talking about remakes, but so I'm assuming when I uh, had to take a quick uh, excursion that you that you guys don't we, like we, we badmouthed you. We said terrible things about you. No, but I'm saying that you, I guess you don't like the you didn't like the rise of the Planet of the Apes. You liked it. I just said it wasn't. It was it was fine. It just wasn't really spectacular. It wasn't spectacular. It was a decent film. It was okay, yes. but what I liked about it was the building of the foundation for, to me, a much more logical uh, evolution of why things happened. You know, it's like okay, it's the modern era, which we've talked about before in this podcast. That you know, nuclear war is so passe. There is no more nuclear war wiping out humanity. It's viral now. Viral is the thing. Viral is the. Uh, Destruction of mankind of the day right now. So did you see that thing I posted over on our on the podcasts uh, uh, Facebook page about the uh, the study on what would happen if you just set off a hundred Hiroshima-sized weapons in the Indian subcontinent? Uh, I, I saw the post. Had not had a chance to read it yet. T take a look at that. It's like yes, you can. This idea that well, we'll just have a limited nuclear war. <laughs> yeah. Well, it won't be a global cataclysm. But it's gonna suck. Oh but yeah, you're right. The the global conflict probably is un, is is less likely today. Yeah, than it was. So if, so it's gonna be something viral. So 
having it be that you know, okay, there's a viral apocalypse which causes humanity to start to decline and die off, and they had a scientific explanation of well, why did ape, why did apes all of a sudden evolve and get so intelligent? Because they were mucking around with DNA, they were mucking around with something for humans, which uh, accelerated intelligence. So at least to me, that's a little more okay. We got a little little grounded scientific. Uh, reasoning your, for why Your disbelief it is now suspended. You have now yeah. suspended your disbelief. I did. I suspended my disbelief a bit, but to me it made a little more sense instead of like, well, we sent apes back in the past and 10 years later they're all talking and we don't tell you why apes, you know, I didn't buy it. This I could buy a little bit more. Like, oh, okay, you know. Well, as far as the 10 years go, remember, Cornelius and Zero show up and then Caesar's grown up. One presumes it's like 18 to 20 years later. Uh, well, how grown up is he for an ape? An ape, an ape grow up could be that could be five years. Well, they ne they never really tell us how long it takes for an ape to mature, whether it's an evolved ape or a terrestrial ape that they've been breeding. You know, so so yeah. we can, I mean, we could be really charitable and say maybe he's in his thirties by that point. Yeah. Certainly, Roddy McDowell was. Yeah. Um, you know, but, and you know, uh, Ricardo Montalban does die, so he could be old. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Um, he, they do age Ricardo Montalban a little bit. He goes from having that black hair to they gray him up. So yeah, it, could, it, it could easily be a good. You're right. It could be a good thirty years. You know, because in the in the in the in the third movie, he seemed pretty young and spry still. So. Yeah. But uh, like I said, it's it's it wasn't a bad movie. I saw the second one. I saw the you know uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, where you know. Yeah, mankind's wiped themselves out. It's been a few years, and a lot of the apes that spoiler alerts people, you know, have got out. They're forming their own community, you know, uh, there, and you know, because you know, injected a lot of the apes to get out. So some of them became hyper intelligent. There's been some breeding uh, that's been going on, uh, but also, you know, they didn't. They weren't all talking. You know, like, oh, let's have full conversations. There was some limited speech, mainly from Caesar, because he. Developed that from all the the, the experiments, uh, but they use a lot of sign language to communicate because, you know, it's it's a scientific fact. Apes can learn sign language to an extent, so they kind of probably accelerated it a little bit. But again, it, to me, it seems a lot of it seems a lot more plausible. Yeah, it got a little silly at times. Some of it seemed a bit, eh, I don't know. But but overall, it wasn't it's it's not a bad reboot of the franchise. You know, I, I don't think it's terrible. Um, it is certainly uh, head and shoulders above the frickin' uh, Tim Burton movie. Uh, absolutely. That's so easy. The bar, we've set the bar, or Tim set the bar, way down there. You'd have to dig a hole. In the yeah, pretty. How low can bar. you go? Uh, yeah. Pretty damn low. Uh, yeah. but, it's, but again, it's not not a terrible movie. They left it open for the next movie, so I'm not displeased with that. With with the with the remit boot of it. You know, is it is it the classic one? Is it you know what we grew up with, know and love? No. But again, it's designed for more of a modern era, like they're redoing Star Trek. They're redoing it for a 40 years later for a newer audience, for a younger audience, for different people who don't have the race memory that we have of growing up with these films. You know. Well, you know, for for me, it's it's all the moopets to me. Dark, cynical characters for a dark, cynical time. <laughs> well, you're you're not that you're not that much younger, Will. But uh, well, actually, I think you are. But um, I'm, I'm young, young enough. I think I got 10 years on you, Will, so yeah. All right. I do <laughs> want to throw out one other thing about the first film, which, again, we could 
I could keep going all Oh, we could talk about this for hours. About yeah. how cool the first one is. But one of the things I want to throw out, uh, you know, that great... You don't see your first ape until, what, almost 20, 30 minutes into the film? Oh, yeah, yeah. they take their sweet time. Yeah, that reveal, when they when the cavalry charges over and they wheel their horses around, and you're just like, doing whoops, we are so in the wrong fucking place, you know, at the wrong fucking time. That, that was a... They take their time, and they, well, it's they build it nicely. Because you know you're seeing a movie called The Planet of the Apes. You've seen the posters that show the apes on them, but because they take their time, it has imp- it has the same impact as if you didn't know what film you were watching. Oh, yeah, yeah they, they lull you into a false sense of security, like, okay, well, they're wandering around. Oh, my God, there's apes here, you know? Yeah. Well, mostly I think the impact is, uh, really? The makeup's that good? Holy fucking shit. You know oh, they're I mean? really good. And you know what? Even in, even in the TV series... It's not terrible. You know, yeah. sometimes, yeah, they're like, yeah, you could see the teeth behind the, the mask, or because obviously they're wearing some kind of glove with hair on the back, you know. It's, you know, some of it's pretty bad, but overall, it's not, it's not that bad, you know, because again, they're using, they're using a lot of the stuff. Now, Central, to- I started talking about that. I just want, last thing I want to talk about related to this is the setting of the original series. I like the setting of the. It's a. It's a weird. The the kind of the look of the clothes, the society, the the buildings, how they live was an. I think it was a pretty. The language was a pretty interesting mix. You know, like their clothes are like. Where do these clothes come from? What did they model that after? And I think you know. Uh, yeah, like, it doesn't look like any human society that I'm aware of. Nope. Like, you know, right? not at all. No human. Maybe. Maybe. Oh gosh, I don't even know. I mean, I'm looking at the dolls here. You know, maybe like maybe a little Roman, maybe maybe a little. Uh, who knows? It's it, they don't. It, it's you know the big helmet. They did a really good job of creating the look of at least the clothes. You know, some of it's very uh, well the set. Well, the TV series. You know, they look like you know the humans are like just like medieval peasants with their with their cloth uh, clothes. But also the. The apes, their furniture, their huts are very uh, almost. That seems almost kind of hippieish to me, or a little, a little bedrock. combination, little, a little bedrock, little almost like Adobe kind of Mexican, but with a flair of the the natural movement of you know like the '60s and '70s with like domed houses and stuff like that. It's well, it almost got, looks like their their buildings were grown into that shape. Yes. It, Exactly. It seems very natural, very organic. You know, kind of that look and feel of like you see like these natural communities of natural housing with like built in the side of the the, the, the mountains with the the earth over them, with the curved Jessic with the domes and stuff like that. So it's very kind of a natural uh, look to it. Made out of like you know like it looks to me it looks almost you know like I said it looks like Adobe huts. You know like the like the clay they just formed it. They didn't build it with bricks. They didn't build it with wood. It's like they formed it. You know like they like they molded it. You know, so the, just the look and feel of it. I think and even they did a they, they changed up they even changed up the weapons too, which was very interesting because oh yeah they could have just thrown down some rifles and call it good, but they put those those plastic forms over those M1 carbines that make them look alien. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like so they took, like, like maybe they had the old rifle, the parts, but they knew enough to where they carved their own new handles wood. and yeah. wood and put them in there, put the parts in there. So they did a lot of good stuff with the design work, you know. I think with that to give it a completely non-human uh, look to it. 
Which actually, uh, to talk about the the costumes the ape or the clothing the ape wears, one thing that 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 when when you know when I saw the film for the first time and you know saw the ending and realized it was Earth, one thing that kind of struck me is that particularly the clothes the chimpanzees and the orangutans wear, they almost look vaguely like surgical scrubs or like laboratory dress almost like it's almost imprinted on the apes like this is what people wear because you know the apes when they started becoming intelligent would have spent so much time in labs with people in those clothes poking and prodding at them hmm. that's a nice touch the the other thing I want to mention about that first film uh, well first of all I think it needs to be said out loud again that if it's the 60s or 70s and you're in the future with Chuck Heston it's going to suck balls. Yeah. <laughs> Every single time you take Chuck Keston into the future, it's a fucking nightmare. Whether it's Planet of the Apes, Beneath the Planet of the Apes, Soylent Green, or the Omega Man, it's, mm. it's, it's sweaty, nasty balls every, second, every single time. Um, and it really works out for him. It also rarely works out for Chuck. I can't think of a single time it's worked out for Chuck in the future. Yeah. Really. Um, <laughs> The second thing I want to say is Goldsmith's soundtrack oh. from the first movie, which is completely alien again. It's just, like, not human music. I mean, it's all that wildly experimental... I mean, it's, like, all percussion and, you know, just only... Uh, Weird no horns. Yeah, it's, it's horns. It's, like, all horns. And, in fact, I just... I was... Uh, the Seattle Opera had a thing where they threw the uh, the... the, the Opera open for a couple of uh, sh concert pieces that I went to, and uh, one of them was this mid 20th century, like 1950 whatever piece called "The Desert." And when they set up the the music, the the instruments to play that, it was all percussion, and then it was all these like horns and stuff. And they took all the violins and all the basses and all that off stage, and it was it was very evocative of that Jerry Goldsmith uh, soundtrack. Um, and it's not the least of it, because the piece is called The Desert, and so the very beginning of the film, when they're wandering around in the wasteland, and that that music is kind of wailing and crashing around them, you know. Uh, oh. It's very, yeah, I, I, that, that Goldsmith soundtrack is like nothing I'd ever heard before. Since, since you saw this, I'm wondering if you can confirm this, because I've, I've heard a rumor that one of the instruments used in that uh, f for the Planet of the Apes score is a shofar. Did they have a shofar on stage for that? Uh, describe a shofar, because they had a wild arrangement um, of, of percussive instruments. It's it's a, it's actually it's a, it's a horn. Uh, it's used in a lot of uh, uh, Jewish ceremony, I think, I believe. Passover, and if if I'm getting this wrong, please forgive me. But it's like it's a ram's horn that's been turned into a, a wind instrument, and it makes this wonderful, rich, organic noise that sounds a lot like some of those sort of bleeding, yowling sounds that you'll hear uh, in Planet of the Apes. I I read something where it said Goldsmith, while he was banging out the soundtrack, uh, kept a a ram's horn on the desk with him, or something like that. You know. <clears throat> That uh, he kept one nearby because I don't know because he's crazy or something, but uh, and um, let's see it, it won an honorary, let's see, uh, honorary Academy Award for John Chambers um, because apparently we didn't have best special effects at the time. Uh, best cost it was nominated for best costume design, best musical score. Uh, yeah, 
Um, best musical score uh, for Jerry Goldsmith. Um, but uh, yeah, that's all I can. That's all, that's all I can pull out of this. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I don't remember for sure. I didn't see that kind of horn. There were a number of very strange instruments uh, that they had uh, during the uh, setup at the uh, at the opera, but um, it wasn't the Goldsmith score, so I can't tell you. Well, since I got the headphones on, unfortunately, you can't hear it, but because uh, I I do have the of the Apes and Beneath the Apes soundtrack, so uh, but I can't uh, <laughs> I can't I can't I don't know how to play it. And I gotta tell you that that moment where they that moment where they the horse the riders turn around for the first time. And they hit you with that those horns. Oh yeah! Mm-hmm. Everybody takes a collective shit when that happens. I mean, it's that great buildup where there's that the, the 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 humans take off, and then you see the 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 guys beating the bush with those those uh, big bamboo things, and as the bamboo is is being used to whack the bush, it makes this shrieking sound because the air going through it, this this whistling sound. The and then piece, that final piece, the piece yeah. is called the hunt. Yeah, hmm. yeah, uh, that that knocked everybody on there. It certainly knocked me back on my heels. Oh and, yeah, it's a uh, great, great. You got Jerry Scolds, you know, he's been doing fantastic movie scores. He did them for you know decades. You know, it was if you heard a good movie soundtrack, it's probably his. You in know? fact, it's him or John Williams or Danny Elfman. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's now, you know. Don't forget Hans Zimmer. But I was gonna say, didn't Goldsmith? Do the soundtrack for um, the prisoner? Uh, no, I was going to say I, I want to say he did the soundtrack for Star Trek: The Motion Picture, which yes, has the Klingon, the Klingon theme music that really evokes back to Planet of the Apes. You know? Oh yes. The, the entry, the entry music with the Klingon show up in your life. and that's the moment. That it's it's such a it's such a terrible bait and switch in that movie because you go into Star Trek: The Motion Picture, the Klingon. D7 Battlecruisers show up. That great Jerry Goldsmith music shows up. There's a good action sequence. And you're like, I'm in a Star Trek movie. All right. And then, boom, the brakes go on. Oh, sorry. Not to... <laughs> the film comes to a complete stop. It doesn't move ever again. The, the prisoner was Ron uh, Grainer, another well-known composer, too. Well, at least, I guess, for, for British music. hummed by Robert McEwen. Sadly, we have lost Jerry Goldsmith. Jerry Goldsmith has has checked out. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people have checked out, as you saw. Like you posted the other day, we lost um, uh, James Garner. We lost Jim Rockford. We lost, and, you, and we didn't mention it last time, but you know who we lost a couple weeks ago for real this time? Who's that? We, we lost the Borgnine. Oh, we finally lost. Uh, oh Ernest yeah. Earth. Ernest Borgnine, fine. Like, yeah, we, we that fucker's finally dead. He's finally, like, looking forward to it. Uh, but no, it's like it was one of those things. Isn't he dead? No, nope, nope, he was not still... yet. And we finally killed Abe Vigoda because I think that guy might be immortal. You know, we lost uh, Ernest Borgnine uh, July eighth. Okay, apparently no, we haven't lost Abe Vigoda. No, he still keeps. He is going strong at 93. Uh, uh, Ernest Borgnine, 90. He passed away at 95. So he had a pretty good. He had a pretty good fucking run, you know. Yeah, that's not bad. He fucking outlived Jimmy Gar- James Garner, that's for sure. Um, Ernest Borgnine. Anyway, uh, before we get all maudlin about our heroes passing yeah, over the great. Let's get back. Uh, so like I said that, that was the last thing I just really wanted to talk about about because we you know we're going on two almost two hours here is. Um, 
uh, like I said, I like the, the set designs, the clothing. Again, they made a very non the props, look all to the it. props from their world were awesome. Very good. It was yeah. all very good. Yeah. And they use a lot of it in the TV series. So again, I had that. that's why I think I love that. Like the planets. Oh, look! They look so cool. You know, with the the helmets and the the, the clothes and the gloves and the weird writing, kind of like you know, gly almost glyph like. Oh. You know, was their language? You know. I read just recently that the um, that in the museum in the museum that Taylor is running through at one point you now and finds the fucking Dodge mannequin in there. There's a there's a prop from Forbidden Planet. In who remembers Forbidden Planet? Right? Oh, I do. Uh, uh, Robbie the know. robot. You, you, you must yep. remember it. Never, never, never heard of it. Tell me more about it. All right, thank oh. you. Um, but the foot, the cast of the creature from the id's footprint is in the museum. Nice. It's like they painted it black and you know they turned it over and it's on a pedestal somewhere uh, in the background. And I'm just like, oh, that's just awesome. Thank that's, you. That's that's funny. I'm gonna get out my copy of Planet of the Apes. And I'm gonna go watch just for that part because I, I gotta I gotta see if I can pick out the creatures. Oh, yeah, you know, I might have to pop it in too and just uh, go to that scene just so I can see yeah. that. But uh, get your oh. stinking paws off me, you damn dirty apes! Oh, it's so awesome. So, <laughs> so this has been a pretty thorough discussion, but not nearly complete discussion of the whole Planet of the Apes franchise. Again, we could. Go on for hours, and we already have, but uh, we're gonna, we're going to spare our listeners. And I see we still got two list two viewers still going. Thanks for staying with us, guys. Who are you people? Don't you have lives to get to? Don't you have uh, things you should be doing? Oh, I boy. know. Why are you Why are you watching us? You know, for an uh, an hour and uh, forty minutes, I think so far. Oh my so, god! Uh, sit. I mean, yeah, but honestly, hey, it, honestly, sir, we just got through eight movies, two TV series. And we didn't even get to the comic books. Because yeah, exactly. I can remember, I can remember buying the comic books and as a kid, and being all excited because, in the comic books, the mutants were all like weird cyborgs, like you know they had a human hand and then like a big pincer claw or a a whip that was built into their hands. They could beat their human and, and uh, ape slaves, um, and for some reason they wore yarmulkes. Well. Steel, steel yarmulkes. Are you, are you, are you anti-Semitic? Is that what you're saying? Uh, clearly, I don't know why they had these little. The mutants had these like little pinheads. You know what they looked like? Zippy the pinhead. They looked like uh, the mutant uh, bodyguard from Rebel, whatever his name was, Pinball, or you know the mutant bodyguard from uh, from Rebel from the Moreno comic. Oh, whoa, okay, okay. It took me. I'm like, what? So the skin, the skinheads in his bodyguard. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, doll, had, doll's bodyguard, which yeah, he was like this big, you know. But he had this tiny little head that came to a point, which had this little like funny looking little soup bowl cap on top of for no yeah. apparent reason. That's what all the mutants looked like in the uh, Planet of the Apes comic book, and I just remember the uh, the I remember the art not being like it was the same guy. It was very Wrightson-ish. You know, it was very Bernie right like they wanted to be Bernie Wrightson, but weren't. Yeah, I, I vaguely, I kind of, again, the 70s, I kind of remember maybe seeing Planet of the Apes comic books. You know, the only thing I remember about comic books from the 70s was I read, you know, the Star Wars comics, and I read, you know, this is before I learned how, uh, I'm not going to go into how I, my opinion of the Star Wars universe, but... Um, 
Uh, that and War Comics I read. That's about all I ever read, you know, but I kind of remember the Planet of the Apes vaguely as well, you know, vaguely remember that, you know. Yeah. I, read a lot of, I read a lot of G.I. Combat and Weird War, which, again, explains a lot, like, oh, okay, so that explains why he went down that path, because he wasn't reading Superman and Batman, he was reading War Comics and Weird War Comics, which was, you know, science fiction and uh, supernatural uh, war stories, you know, <laughs> so. Yeah, I was going to say that there was a, the Planet of the Apes imprint that I saw was the Marvel Comics one, and uh, the artist I remember the most is Mike Plug, um, who has just turned up recently where people were showing some of the production artwork for our, uh, Carpenter's The Thing, the pre-production artwork. Mm. Mike Plug did a number of really ghastly illustrations of the thing mid-transition, you know, the sort of production art, sort of imagining what the thing could do, changing its form and whatever. Uh, Mike Plug is the guy whose artwork I remember the most. And it, it, uh, it was really, it, it, it was really evocative. I mean, uh, the, the stories were pretty, you know, uh, un, uh, I guess, you know, not particularly inspired, but they were, uh, they were good looking. Apparently, I'm seeing an issue from whenever it was Planet of the Apes and Dracula Lives. Oh yeah, gotta have that backup story in it. Uh, the macabre and the macabre man thing as well. So yeah, <laughs> that that's all. That's all on the same cover. All yep. on the same cover. So anyway, folks. All right, we're gonna we're gonna wrap our ape talk up here because you know I'm hungry for some bananas. Uh, I'm sorry. But uh, oh, you know we need we need to do the the see no evil uh, hear no evil thing. Oh, no, I know Scott. Yeah, Scott, you put no over your mouth. That's where you need them. <laughs> no. uh, yeah, I, know. I, can't, I can't see it, Scott. I can't see it. He did it. He did it. We got our shot. Okay. Um, so all right. So that's it, folks, uh, for this week. Uh, thank you, Will, very much for joining us. You gave a lot of good again insight to things that we didn't weren't as well versed in. And oh, Scott, welcome. thank you as always. Now, uh, next show, uh, I, w I wanted to try to do it next week, but I, I can't. I'm actually, i got to go away for business. But next show, what we're going to do is what we were talking about, and I was talking to Will about it, is I want to do the top five that we're talking about. Uh, we're going to do our, our favorite top five post-apocalyptic novels. So Okay. Uh, so get okay. yours lined up. I'm gonna get mine lined up. I asked Will if he if he wants to join us for that as well. Because again, I want to have some different perspectives because I know I'm sure your list and my list are gonna be pretty damn similar. So I want some other perspective on some other other. There's books. some crossover. Yeah, yeah I, I'd like to get some other other people's perspectives in there. So uh, I've invited Will to join us again for that, and I'm gonna try to loop in a couple other people, at least one person, maybe uh, uh, two, just so we can share our our top five lists of what what we books we have, why we like them. Uh, Will asked me. If very important question. Are we going to include graphic novels and novellas? I don't I say why we, not. I, novellas I are sure. To, I think we have to include novellas. I think we have to. Oh, absolutely. Because, yeah, well, well uh, Damnation Alley was, was basically, was almost, started off as a novella. Yeah, you know? and, and uh, same thing with A Boy and His Dog. I, you know, have a hard time calling it a novel. Um, and also, uh, hell, The Mist, Stephen King's The Mist, which I think is an underrated apocalyptic uh, no, you know, is only a novella. Yeah. So, so should we? Are we just going to keep it strictly to fiction, or do we want to include? Do you think we should include graphic novel? Or 
I, I wouldn't I wouldn't include graphic novels, uh, but only because it's a it might be a field and two different medias, two different ways of communicating the, the story. It would okay. be like comparing it, it would be like comparing novels and movies. Yeah, which 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 we've been doing. So, but uh, we'll, we'll we'll keep it strictly to the written word. No graphic novels. It can be short stories, full length, even a series. If you want to say this is my favorite series, and you like all the books in the series, which I would find hard to believe. Like I love the Deathland series, but I don't like the series as, as a whole because after a certain amount of novels, it went into fucking shitter. So, um, but I might there include some, there are some turkeys. But I might I, I might include a, some specific novels from there. You know, because some of them were pretty exceptional. Yeah, you know, I was at the used bookstore earlier today. There was a they had a stack of uh, Deathlands audiobooks. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, because that, that is being that was put out by that's put out by um, I can't remember the company, but they're oh, how much were they, how much did they want for them? Uh, you know, I don't remember. I I should have checked. I should have well, gotten you know, that for the show. You know what? Check that for. Uh, is that some? Is that a local place for you? Uh, it's it's not local, but I'm in that part of town like uh, at least once every two weeks. You know, I'll, I'll send you a message. I'll tell you. You know, if you could, if it's cheap, you can track it down. I might want to have you pick some up. And uh, do you think you'll be there before Gen Con? Actually, it's very likely. Okay, and then I could just instead of like shipping it to store in your suitcase, you could give it to me at Gen Con. <laughs> so uh, if they're che if they're cheap enough, because uh, there's I wouldn't mind getting some of the older ones, like maybe Pilgrimage to Hell, the first ones. Uh, I'll give you a list, and if the pricing is good. So anyway, all right, people, uh, that's our, that's our, that's a side conversation. We should have offline. What should be having offline? Yeah. So uh, two weeks from now, our next episode, we're gonna do the top five, top five post, our favorite top five post-apocalyptic. Novels, short stories, novellas. Myself, uh, Scott, William will join us again, and I'm going to loop in uh, some other local favorites just so we could, you know, uh, you know, again get a variety of uh, stories. Because I know on my top five, both me and Scott are going to have Lucifer's Hammer, and there's going there's to be crossover, so we need some variety. Yeah, we do. And I would also consider throwing in one outside that top five, which is just if you can. You can name a post-apocalyptic story or novel that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, something like that might be worthwhile mentioning. Uh, oh, okay. In fact, so, I can I can think of you know, uh, you know what I, I this is really harder than it than it looks because I'm thinking of some really small short stories or short story series that never really went anywhere, but at the same time, they were so good they might you know they they could really push some things out of the top five that we. That should normally be there. Oh yeah, well, I can mention you know like uh, do you, have you ever heard of the Long Afternoon of Earth? No. Yeah, again, that's an old written in the 1930s, uh, 40s. You know, uh, it wasn't Brian Aldiss; it was uh, somebody along those lines. So yeah, I could pull some obscure ones like there. There's one by a known author that's pretty obscure that I only came out a couple of years ago. I can name so that that's an easy one. So yeah. all right, top five favorite, top five favorite post-apocalyptic novels, and then a post-apocalyptic story novel that you've read that may not be more obscure just to kind of add, hey, check this one out. It's a pretty good Yes, story. yes, absolutely. Okay, so absolutely. we're set, and we're going to do it, folks, in two weeks from now, and that'll be our uh, last show before... Gen Con. Gen Con, uh, because Excellent. we have... Um, yeah, so we'll have it on the 4th, and then the next week uh, we are traveling to Gen Con, and then uh, back, and we you know what, we might not be able to have one after we get back, because uh, we're both traveling on the 18th, which is would be the next time yeah. of the show, so we might have to have it 
a different day or maybe the following week. So, because again, again, I always like to get at least two shows in a month. So we'll make we'll make it work. So, okay. So that's it, folks. Uh, enough of us. Uh, we kept it under two hours. Yay! But <laughs> yay. But hey, again, we had a lot to talk about. So that's fine. It was a big, big, big topic. So again. Thank you for uh, joining us today. Thank you for my all the hosts for joining us and uh, participating and enlightening our audience. Thank your audience for joining which, us. Which we outnumber. We outnumber our audience. Yes. And again, uh, like I haven't said in a while, but again, be socially responsible. We got up to 96 likes on Facebook page. Yay, four nice. more. If you're following us on YouTube, and I know I got there's like 130, 140 you fuckers following us on YouTube, I know four of you are not didn't like our Facebook page, so go like the Facebook page. You know, <laughs> you know you can you can find it off the YouTube channel. You can find it off the blog. You know, Facebook slash Podcast at Ground Zero, or just go to podcastatgroundzero.com, or you know you you can find us. So find us and like us. Just let's get up to a hundred. It'll make me feel so much better. So that is it tonight. Uh, thank you, folks. Um, this is the podcast at Ground Zero crew signing off. Thank you and good night. Goodbye, humans. <laughs> you damn dirty ape. <laughs>